we're going to pick up at verse 12 of Acts chapter 5, and it's a fairly long passage, hopefully you can follow it. If you don't have a Bible, don't worry, the words will be up on the screen behind me. So we're going to read this through, and then we're going to just, just make some comments on this, and hopefully um, apply it into our own situation as a church and as individuals. Verse, verse 12 then of Acts chapter 5. It says, Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord. And that more than ever, I've just underlined there because I'm going to pick up on that phrase. More than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. So that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council and all the senate of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported, We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, Look, the men you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and saviour to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honour by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And then we read a description of Gamaliel's advice, which is basically not to crack down on them, but to let them carry on and see what happens. And then we pick up in verse 39. So they took his advice. And when they called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonour for the name. And every day, in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Let's just pray together for a moment. Father, we thank you 
that you've given us your word and these historical events to encourage us and to help us understand what it means to be on a mission. And we want to pray today as we look into this passage that you would open our eyes, that you'd encourage our hearts, that you would strengthen us, that we would come to know you and your purpose and Jesus, your son, more and more through what we read and hear this morning. We welcome you, Holy Spirit, to apply this into our own lives and our own situation. In the name of Jesus, I ask. Amen. Amen. Okay, I've called this talk this morning, Greater Things, because I think that is the flavour of what we read here in this passage. If you followed the story so far from Acts chapter 1, you might be excused for thinking that things have reached their peak in the local church in Jerusalem's experience. We've read and begun to understand that the story of what happened, that as a movement with a core group of 120 followers of Jesus has blossomed into many thousands. We read of how they've experienced significant miracles, a wonderful sense of community and togetherness being expressed and the practical sharing of their own material goods for one another. Surely things cannot get even better for this church. Surely things are going to just wane a little now and settle down and institutionalise a little. Well, no, that is not what happens. Acts 5 verse 12 onwards encourages us that there are always greater things that are ahead of us and that God has more in store for his people. We read here this little phrase that's caught my attention as I've reflected on this passage in verse 3. More than ever. More than ever. Rather than reaching some kind of peak, they actually move into a season of more than ever in their life together. And the rest of the passage describes this more than ever time. It describes a fresh season, if you like, in the life of the church in the city of Jerusalem, where they experience even more remarkable things. And as you read through Acts, you find that that is often the way that God works and often the experience of church. The church does not gradually, steadily plod on in a measured way from Acts chapter 1 through to Acts chapter 28, the first 30 years of their history. What we read as we follow this story and this account is that there are, ex- that there are unusual seasons of grace that come upon God's people where a whole new momentum comes into their life and mission together. It began like that in Acts 2 with that spectacular encounter with the Holy Spirit and immediately 3,000 people responding to their message about who Jesus was and what God had done through him. In Acts chapter 4, we read as as a result of their prayer for God to move again, that there was a fresh wave. Well, here in Acts 5, verse 12 onwards, I believe we read of the next wave or season in their life together. A more than ever time. Acts chapter 5 has begun, as we looked at last week, with a description of some of the qualities and experiences of their life as a church. It's 
full of a description of the community life that they enjoyed together. And also the way in which they encountered the holiness of God in a fresh way. And great fear comes upon the whole church and everyone who hears of those things. What happens next from verse 12 onwards is that they enter into a whole new momentum in terms of their mission, not just to their city, but to the districts that were beyond their city. I'm not sure what your expectations are of the year ahead. There's an intense amount of uncertainty around, isn't there, and insecurity around as a result of all the economic things that are going on in the world today. Even the experts are hesitant to make predictions. And I don't know what you're feeling, whether you're yourself picking up on some of that uncertainty in your own personal life. Something of a crisis is happening, isn't it? Well, I believe as we look ahead to this year and to this season ahead of us as a church, we can genuinely expect a more than ever time for our city in terms of our mission to the city and to the district beyond. As uncertainty grows and people begin to realise that actually the thing underneath everything that they've built is sand, there's going to be huge opportunity and need for us with great compassion to bring answers to questions that are going to begin to be asked. There's going to be, I believe, real opportunities like never before to share our own stories to tell what Christ has done in our own ordinary lives we're those you know those stone pots that Marion prayed about earlier just ordinary vessels and yet there's treasure within that we've experienced I believe we're going to have opportunities like never before to share our own story let's be full of faith that as we look ahead to this season we're going to experience something of a more than ever time as we read experience here what were some of the features of this season that's really what I want to do this morning is just unpack this and help us understand what is involved in this season of fresh momentum in terms of their mission to the city and the district beyond the first thing that we find is that there was a fresh focus on the task I believe that this is very relevant for us as a church today and as we look ahead into this year. For some time now, we have felt increasingly the need to gear up for a sharper focus on the task of our mission as a church to the city and to the regions beyond. We're in a process of, revealing, of, of reviewing how we effectively do that. Our online survey that we launched last week is part of that process. I want to thank everyone that's um, you know, responded and given comments and ideas and feedback and suggestion and information. I believe it's very helpful for us to be gleaning that kind of thing as we reflect and review where we're at and try to glean ways in which we can improve the effectiveness and the focus of what we're doing. And I want to encourage you, if you've not yet... Um, clicked on to the online survey to do that this week. I think we've got about 70 people who have done that so far. Um, if you don't have an internet connection, there are copies in paper copies here at the NBC. Um, you may well have had a copy through the post. If you find you're not able to get hold of one, please just call the office and get hold of a, of a survey. We're in a season where we are 
clearly looking to sharpen up our focus on the tasks that God's called us to in our city. Well, that's exactly what happens here. The passage that we looked at last week describes some of the wonderful experiences of their church together. The way that they were encountering God's sacrificial love and the way that affected their own love for one another and their own sense of community and family and togetherness. The way that that led to an experience of, of strong, sharing community life. We heard of Barnabas as a shining example of that. And we also read last week and looked last week at how Ananias and Sapphira come face to face with the reality that God is a holy God and that he is very much at work in their hearts and amongst them. The result was that the whole church woke up in a fresh way, I believe, to the reality of God's holiness and awesome reality. And those things are important elements of church life. Things that we want to pursue, things that we want to grow in, things that we, we want to increase in as a church. Growth in togetherness, inner personal transformation, uh, growing awareness of who God is in his awesome nature. But what the rest of chapter 5 describes is that those things didn't become an end in themselves. They led into a fresh season of mission to the city and to the regions beyond. They didn't become a distraction from the task of mission. The building of community and togetherness and the pursuit of personal holiness served the greater task of God's mission and I believe brought greater momentum and effectiveness to that mission. All the one-anothering and the personal transformation wasn't an end in itself, and it certainly didn't preoccupy them or take up every evening of the week. It served the cause of their mission to the city and to the regions beyond. I think it's important to take note of that, because it is possible for these very important elements of church life to distract us from the mission that we're called to. If you read through anything of church history, you can very quickly discover that there are whole movements that slipped into that kind of distraction. Groups that have pursued a radical experience of biblical community life and ended up neglecting the task of God's mission to those that were outside of their own group and outside of the church. Very loving and cosy, but usually very small. That's the danger of exclusivism. All the resources and energies poured into an in-house culture. Other groups, we can observe, have pursued personal holiness to the neglect of God's mission. And they tend to become very sharp and very introspective and very intense. But also very small. That's the danger of introspection. Well, the kind of church culture that we read of here in Acts avoided both of those dangers. Neither of those models reflects, I believe, the kind of church culture that we find here in Acts. What we find here is a radical experience of community life, and we want to pursue that with all of our energy. There is personal transformation and an encounter with God's holiness and the change inwardly that that brings. But it all serves the greater task 
of the mission that God's called them to. And they maintain a focus on that task. The result is that they don't plateau, but they experience a fresh momentum as they move through this more than ever season. Now, there was plenty of opportunity to be distracted. Just put yourselves in their shoes for a few minutes. Just consider what has happened here. The church has grown from 120 to about 5,000 people, at least, in a matter of weeks, if not just a few months. There was a core leadership team of 12. They had no written New Testament. They were facing the pressure and intimidation of the city authorities to stop what they were doing. They had no buildings or facilities to meet in. They probably had significant numbers of people who were displaced without homes in Jerusalem. Those who had been disowned by their families and their community as a result of their decision to follow Jesus. And so there were plenty of opportunities to get distracted from the wider mission and caught up with the nitty gritty of church life, if you like. But what do they do? Well, verse 12 through to the end of chapter 5 teaches us that they go back out onto the public, into the public places of their city with a fresh, renewed focus on their mission. The easiest thing in the world would have been for them to put this on hold and get into that nitty-gritty of church life. There were plenty of plates for them to spin. Some were even starting to wobble. In fact, Acts chapter 6 gives us a little insight into that, where there was some complaint and disaffection and people being overlooked, pastoral needs not being cared for. There were plates that were already beginning to wobble in their church life together. But what we read is that they get hold of their central mission in a fresh way and get on with the job that God's called them to do with fresh focus. They refuse to take their hands off of the one central thing that they've been commissioned to do. That's what it means to be a missional church. It means that we organise ourselves so that this central plate is kept spinning no matter what. And I believe God is encouraging us in the more than ever season that he's calling us to, to have a fresh handle on this mission and task that he's called us to. I'm feeling the challenge of that personally myself. I'm sure that you are too. God in his kindness is making it easy for us this year, isn't he? He's given us a ten-week high-profile mission in our city and district to focus our energy and resources on. That's making it easy for us. But we're not going to have just ten every year. What our expectation is that through just ten and through all that God's saying to us and through our response to that, is that something of our culture changes so that we get hold of the mission that God's called us to in a fresh way. That's what happens here in Acts chapter 5. So what was the task then? What was it that they refused to be distracted from? It's summarised in that phrase, talking in public places to those who had not yet heard about what God had done through Jesus 
and validating this through healing the sick and oppressed. Very simple. Sound familiar? I want us to unpack this a little. First thing I want to mention is public places. This is the where of their mission, and it should be the where of our mission too. What happens in the rest of Acts chapter 5 doesn't happen tucked away in some corner of the city, behind closed doors. It happens in public places. We read here in chapter in verse 12 that they were all together in Solomon's portico. Now what's Solomon's portico? That was a covered colonnaded hallway in the eastern part of the temple that was about 13 meters wide by 16 meters high and it was a public space for meeting in at the center of their city. It was where the gates into the temple complex were situated and so it would have been something of a a public thoroughfare. It was a place where people naturally congregated and mixed and interacted with one another. Now, translate that to Winchester 2009. Where is Solomon's portico for us? Where is the where of our mission? Well, it's in places where people naturally congregate and mix and interact with one another. Maybe the office, maybe outside the school gates, maybe down the pub, maybe Starbucks, maybe the Buttercross. The impression that we get here is that that is where the apostles spent most of their time. In verse 12, it says they regularly did signs and wonders there. Verse 42, it says day after day they met in the temple. And also, of course, from house to house. It wasn't just the big public space. It was also the more personal, kind of family-centered situations as well as they met house to house. That was exactly what Jesus had modeled to these followers. We looked at that last year, didn't we? As we learned of how Jesus came into this world and didn't retreat into a religious ghetto, but got out on the streets, met people where they were at, connected with them in a way that they could clearly understand and relate to, as he told them of the great things that God had done for them. Well, a more than ever season is about activity going on in public places. That's where the energy and the resources here were focused Now, of course, the church at this stage did not have a building. And so there was probably a sense in which they were forced into the public arena in a way that we ourselves are not forced. That doesn't mean that it's wrong to have a building. On the contrary, I think the building itself that we own provides a useful space to facilitate our mission. That's what this is. It's a facility. It is here to serve and facilitate the mission and the task that God's called us to in our own culture and generation. That's its purpose. And I believe that we are to increasingly think of the NBC as a Solomon's portico space, if you like. Not a private members club, but a place where people naturally congregate and have opportunity to mix with one another. A space at the centre of the city that increasingly facilitates and provides for those kind of opportunities. Part of this more than ever season, I believe, is seeing that increasingly happen.
If you're a visitor into this building this morning, I want to give you a particular game, just a welcome. You're welcome to be here. We have other activities and things that happen during the week here, and you are very welcome to find out what goes on here during the week, and, uh, and welcome to participate and to join us in that. They talked in public places. Second thing I want to pick up on is that they talked to those who had not yet heard. Now, that may seem obvious to us, but I think it's important just to reflect on this. This is, I believe, very challenging, actually. Not only did they seem to spend most of their time in public spaces, but they gave quality time to talk with those who had not yet heard the great news about what God had done through Jesus. The word people is used six times in this passage. A good equivalent in our own language, I believe, is the phrase general public. In verse 12 we read, and I'll put the the word general public in there, many signs and wonders were regularly done among the general public. Verse 13, the general public held them in great esteem. Verse 16, the general public also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Verse 20, this is the command of the angel. Go and stand in the temple and speak to the general public all the words of this life. Verse 25, look, The men you've put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the general public. And in verse 26, it says, Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the general public. Okay, We're not talking about a situation where the church is threatening to stone the city officials. It's very clear the context And the audience and the people that they're interacting with and speaking to is the general public. And so the point is that the word used here doesn't describe interaction that is focused on the church family or the community of God. Acts actually uses other words to describe the church community. Words like believers, disciples, brothers. What is happening here in this more than ever season, is a renewed focus on interacting with the general public. In the context of public spaces and the homes of the city of Jerusalem, this is not some kind of in-house renewal meeting that we read of, where people are encountering God and being healed. It is an out-there activity, on the streets and in the homes, where the general public are having an opportunity to hear the great news about what God has done through Jesus. It's not an in-house Bible study led by the apostles. It's engaging with those who have not yet heard anything about the news of what God has done through Jesus. It involves relationship and interaction with the general public. That's what this season in their life together Involves. That's the to whom, if you like, of their mission. I think it's important to note that because I think our tendency, or certainly my tendency, is to imagine a kind of church meeting here. That's not what's happening. There's an interaction with the general public. 
In Acts, Luke often uses the phrase, the word of, the God, of God, spreading or growing. And that features many, many times as the church engages in its mission through the book of Acts. That phrase describes missionary activity. It's not some kind of deeper life experience for the disciples as they suddenly understand deeper truths in Scripture. The word of God prevailing and growing is about those who have not yet heard coming to hear and as a response giving their lives over to following the Jesus that they're being told about. The apostles were very, very clear that that was central to their mission. Something they knew that God himself had commanded them to do. In verse 29, their response to being told not to do this is, this is what God has told us to do. We must obey God rather than men. God had commissioned them to engage and interact in that way with those who had not yet heard. It was backed up by the specific command of an angel who orchestrated this incredible jailbreak that we read of. The angel says to them, go and stand in the temple, think public space, and speak to the people, general public, all the words of this life. Clearly, it was what they had been prioritising up until this point. Because the authorities accused them of filling Jerusalem with their teaching. Now, Jerusalem was something between 60,000 and 100,000 people at that stage in its history. And in a matter of weeks, if not just a few months, the apostles had filled Jerusalem with their teaching. It was priority number one for them in this season. It is this activity, of course, that provides the context and backdrop for what we will go on to look at in Acts 6, where they refuse to give up their priority in order to serve in more practical and pastoral ways. I believe that this is a feature of what lies ahead of us. There's already much great stuff that's going on. It's been great to, to just read some of your comments and some of the feedback through the online survey are things that are going on. I believe more than ever God is gearing us up for this kind of interaction with our general public around us. So it was about talking to those who had not yet heard. Thirdly, it was about what God had done through Jesus. We've looked at the where of their mission. We've looked at the to whom. This deals with the what. What was the content of their message? What was it that they talked about? Well, here we find it's described in two ways. In verse 20, the angel says, Speak to the people all the words of this life. They talked about Jesus as the life. That's something Jesus had said that he was. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And that was the content of their message. Their message to those who had not yet heard the good news was how to find real life through Jesus Christ by entering into a personal relationship with him on the basis of what he had done for them. That's our message. Very simple and yet very powerful, I believe. It's the message that each of us in our own lives heard at one stage and responded to and have known God changing us from the inside out. If you're a visitor here this morning, you're wondering, what do these people believe? What is it, really, that they believe 
Well, that's it. Jesus offers you a brand new life on the basis of what he has done for you on the cross. It's a message of life. In verse 30 and 31, we read of them summing up the message in another way, where Peter says, The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and saviour to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. This describes what Jesus has done to make this new life possible. The mystery is that although it's a message of life, it's about a death. It's about the death of Jesus. It's about the fact that he was horribly executed on a cross. It's a hanging him on a tree death that is at the core of their message. And so they describe how God has personally visited us through Jesus and how he has been crucified and raised again. That's the message that we bring. I don't know if any of you have seen the film K-19, Widowmaker. I believe it's a, it's a very powerful story, very powerful film. It's the story that describes an incident that really happened at the height of the Cold War where the USSR's first nuclear ballistic submarine is sent out in 1961 on its maiden voyage into the North Atlantic to test fire a missile and send a clear signal to the Americans. And as the story unfolds, the voyage gets underway and Harrison Ford, I think, plays the captain on the submarine. Um, They begin to test out the, the submarine And they discover that there is a serious malfunction in the nuclear reactor at the very core and heart of the vessel. Cracks appear in the cooling system of the nuclear reactor. And they begin to leak lethal radiation into the vessel. But more seriously, as a result of that, the whole temperature of the reactor begins to rise. They face a meltdown situation that can trigger a Chernobyl-like disaster and actually may well have led to World War III. And as the story dramatically unfolds, it's clear that there is only one solution to deal with this problem at the heart of the reactor. The only solution is for an individual on board to put their own life at risk by getting into the radiation zone to deal with the malfunction. And in the film, as it unfolds, the tension, as you can imagine, builds. The needle of the temperature gauge is increasing and getting into the red. And individuals on board volunteer to go and mend the crack. The story builds to a point where one final sailor steps up to the plate and volunteers to get into the lethal zone to weld the pipe up and that's what he does he steps into this situation and he gets to the very heart of the problem and as his insides are being fried from the inside with the dosage of radiation that's coming into him he finally seals the problem and yet perishes in the process well that in a way is the story that's at the very centre of the Bible You see, the Bible tells us that at the very heart of humanity, on the vessel of this planet, something has gone badly wrong. There's a malfunction. 
that's happened in the hearts of men and women. There's a crack that's appeared at the very core of who we are as individuals and as human beings. And the result is that something lethal has begun to affect all of us. The Bible has a word for that. It uses the word sin. The good news, however, is that God has done something about it. The good news is that Jesus himself has entered into our vessel, our world, our planet. That God himself has come. And that he has stepped up to the plate. And that he has got to the very heart of the problem. And that he has mended it. And that he now makes it possible for all of us to know personal transformation as a result of what he has done. But it cost him his life. And that's the message of the apostles here. It is the cross of Jesus and what he's achieved there that makes possible the life and the transformation that we can receive. The result is that if we admit to and take responsibility for our sin, and if we just ask him for his help and put our confidence in what Jesus has achieved to make that change possible, he does something radical on the inside of us. He fixes something. We begin a brand new life. If you're here this morning, you can make that decision yourself. This is not something that happened 2,000 years ago that has no relevance for you today. This is something that each of us here in the church can speak of as something that's changed us in very real ways. And I want to encourage you to consider that. So the church here is focused on a message that has as its heart a message of life and yet a message about the cross of Jesus Christ. One final thing I want to mention, and that is that this is a season of fresh power. I think what also stands out here is that this more than ever season is marked not just by fresh focus on their mission in terms of the words that they spoke, but the wonders that were done as well. Verse 12 to 16 describes this dramatic experience as people are being laid on the streets just so Peter's shadow can pass over them and they can be healed. It's a time of amazing wonders. The apostles speak of how the Holy Spirit is actively at work witnessing about what they're talking through bringing healing to the sick and oppressed. And the result is not just a city that's affected, but a district that is impacted by what God is doing in the midst of the city. Now, they're not doing or saying something new. The same message is being repeated. They haven't discovered some key to the supernatural. What's happening is that there's just a fresh sense of God's supernatural reality amongst them. And the result is the healing and the oppressed are healed. You know, we have the same promise of the same spirit with us and on us as we bring the same message to our own culture and those around us. I believe that we need to continue to pray for this and expect a fresh sense of God's power on us. The reality is that God is at work in our city. You may have heard of the healing on the streets that's going on. That's just one example of it. You may even have passed by the, the high street on a Saturday afternoon and seen the healing banner. Uh, well, that's just simply a team of Christians made up of different churches, including our own, who are offering to pray in a very natural, relaxed way for those who are sick. And the reality is that God is meeting people. 
I was looking through the feedback reports that, that I share in along with others uh, from other churches this week. Do you know, since June last year, over 230 people in our city have asked to be prayed for for healing. I think that's amazing. In a time where, you know, we think of people just are not interested in God or the supernatural, there are masses of people who are very open to be prayed for in the culture that's around us. There are actually more than 20 clear stories of improvement as a result of being prayed for. But not only that, there are over 50 people who would say that additional to that, they experience something supernatural, if you like, as a result of being prayed for. The Holy Spirit is at work in our city, in our day. And as we look for a more than ever season, I want to encourage us more than ever to be open to those kind of opportunities as well. To pray for friends who are not well. To pray for colleagues who are not well. To trust that God's going to move in fresh ways. We've got a training, Healing on the Streets time here at the NBC next Thursday at 7.30 that you are all welcome to come to. And there'll be more stories shared there. Ewan Huffman from the Baptist Church, who has seen in the past year many people from his own congregation and outside of that dramatically healed, will be sharing and teaching a little about what healing on the streets is. Next Thursday at 7.30, we'll be having a meeting focused on that here. You are very welcome. I would commend that. I believe it will build faith and encouragement. And whether you get involved in healing on the streets or not is in a way immaterial. Because it's great to hear what God is doing in our city. So let me conclude then. We're going to um, just sing a couple of songs to conclude. And as we do that, I want to pray for those who would like to know God healing their bodies. If you're here this morning and you're unwell, if you'd like to come to the forward or if you don't feel comfortable with that, just talk to someone near you. We'd love to pray for you. We believe that God can touch you and can heal you. I also want to ask whether there's anybody who would like to respond to the truth of what Jesus has done for them. It may be that you're here and this is the first time you've really understood this news about what God has done through Jesus. Well, there are people here who would love to help you and pray for you. If you would like to, you can come forward. If not, please speak to someone around you. But let's be encouraged by these passages and by these verses as we continue to work out what it means as a church to keep a fresh, undistracted focus on the mission that's ahead of us. Let me encourage us all to get hold of this central task that God's called us to with a fresh focus this year, to engage in public spaces with those who have not yet heard this great news about what God's done, to be ready to pray for the sick and the troubled, and to give ourselves ever more to this wonderful task.